I feel that the word I have tonight, if I had to, uh, if I had to label it, I would say that it feels somewhat solemn. Uh, my plan, uh, if the Lord will permit, is to uh, begin teaching on Wednesday nights for a time from the book of Daniel. But before we do that, I want to kind of rewind the tape and uh, give us a prelude of how we even get to the events that are described in Daniel. And what I'm going to talk about tonight is not in the form of a complaint. Uh, I'm not nervous or anxious talking about it. Um, don't interpret it tonight uh, as me hand-wringing or uh, worked up about the state of the world. Uh, it's not fueled by a longing or a, uh, a desire to get back to the good old days or any kind of religious nostalgia. What I want to present tonight is just an honest and humble assessment of where we are. And I want to set up what I feel like is going to be a season of ministry. Uh, and I think the Lord's going to help us and get, equip us with skills that we're going to be able to use to navigate in the new world that we're living in. How many know that the world that we live in right now is not the same world that we lived in 20 years ago? It's not at all the same world we lived in 20 years ago. And the fact of the matter is, the world that we live in today, currently, we don't have a lot of the skills necessary to live for God in this kind of a world. It's different. It's challenging. And uh, this isn't me longing for uh, the good old days or having any kind of religious nostalgia or wishing that it could get back to the way uh, that it was. It's just an honest assessment of where we're at and where we're going. And I've been with the Lord, and I feel impressed to minister for a while from the book of Daniel. And I feel like these, this book, the book of Daniel and the book of First Peter, they're important books for us today. Because for the first time since the Puritans landed in North America on this continent, uh, the church is living in a society right now where we are not winning the culture. For the first time in four or five hundred years, we are living in North America where the church is not on the cultural winning team. If you don't believe that, just take a minute. I usually don't advocate for turning on cable news, but if you don't believe what I just said, take about 30 seconds and turn on the cable news or go to some news website and you will see in short order that we are not uh, on the winning team, that the values of Christianity and the values of God's word are not normal in our culture today. Since the 1990s, Large numbers of, this is from the Pew Research Center. So this isn't just my observation. This is, these are, this is where we are according to demographics. Since the 1990s, large numbers of Americans have left Christianity to, to join the growing ranks of U.S. adults who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular. And it's an accelerating trend that's shaping everything about the religious landscape in our country. As recently as the early 1990s, about 90% of adults in the United States identified as Christians. But today, only about two-thirds of adults identify or just profess Christianity. 
Since 2007, the percentage of adults who say they are atheists, agnostic, or nothing in particular uh, in these surveys have grown from 16% to 29% since 2007. And during this time, the share of adults in the United States who identify as Christian has fallen since 2007, has fallen from 78% to 63%. Because Christian identity, being a person of God, is not as sticky as it used to be. It's not transmitted from one generation to the other in the same way that it used to. But the religious affiliation of none or atheism or agnosticism is much stickier than it used to be. It's much more attractive to people when they're trying to decide what they believe or what they don't believe. The gravitational pull of atheism or of not being religiously affiliated at all, is much more strong, is much more powerful. People get attracted to those things much more than they used to. And it's created a snowball effect that with each generation, progressively fewer adults retain their identity as a Christian, even if they were raised with that identity, because fewer parents are raising their children in Christian households. The share of Christians that's in decline is partly because religion is not always transmitted by Christian parents to their children. And projections show that at the current rate that we're going at right now, if, if there's not, and I believe there can be, but if there is not a major great awakening in our country where droves of people come to God, it's happening in other parts of the world, I'm not talking about the world as a whole. There's parts of the world where Christianity and being a part of of the Pentecostal church even is very much on the rise. And there's parts of our country where it's on the rise. But as a whole, in the United States and Canada, in North America, it's on the decline. And it's, it's on the decline in such a way to where it's difficult sometimes to see it because it happens slowly and it happens. It's like asking a fish what water is. I mean, you know, a fish, they just live in it. They, they don't have any concept of what it is. They just live in it. And, and that's the way it is uh, with us sometimes. It's just something that we live in, and it happens slowly. But the projections show that unless there is a great awakening that takes place, unless there's a major change in the trajectory that we're on, that by the year 2060, Christians of any tradition, be it Roman Catholic all the way to people that are non-denominational, have no denominational affiliation. Christians of any tradition whatsoever by 2060 are going to account for less than 50% of the adult population in the United States. And they're going to be replaced by a majority of people who have no religious affiliation at all. If they're not militant atheists, they will at least be atheists of some stripe or agnostic or confused or just unwilling to associate with any kind of religion whatsoever. In summary, the part of the world that we live in is becoming more and more secular. And it's not always militantly atheistic, but mostly it's a total indifference toward God and God's commandments. And I present this information tonight to begin with not in order to alarm you. I, 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 I do want to kind of raise the flag a little bit, but
but I don't want to alarm you and send you into a tailspin leaving tonight's Bible study. But what I'm doing is I want to set up what I believe is an important topic. And the topic's not evangelism, even though we need evangelism in, an, in a setting like we're living in today. And the topic is not revival, even though we do need a revival and we need renewal in our country and we need renewal in our homes. The topic is not evangelism and the topic is not revival, but the topic is exile and faithfulness. Because sometimes God's people live in settings where we are not on the cultural winning team. But we don't know anything about that in this country. Because ever since people settled this continent, our country was established on certain foundational principles, and we've lived in a world, Brother Turner, where we've been in control and we've run the table. We do not have the skills, we do not have the experience for living in a world like Daniel lived in, in Babylon. So the question I want to present tonight, and the question that I'm going to stick with for a while, if the Lord will allow me to, is how do you remain faithful when you're not on the winning team? How do you live for God successfully? How do you live for God faithfully when you are not in the majority anymore? For generations, the prophets had preached to Israel and Judah. And for generations, the kings of these divided nations had led these nations into sin and debauchery and wickedness and idol worship and just in general being lukewarm about the things of God. And that environment was a seedbed that allowed the population to get into a condition of widespread neglect of God's word. They didn't know how to correctly worship and sacrifice anymore, and they started to not be devoted to God's word and God's ways of living. And eventually, in the year 605 B.C., there were families of Judah that were deported and carried away to Babylon. Then, in 597 B.C., there was another wave of deportation with another wave of people that were taken. Then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians returned and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in that city. They leveled it. And then in 581 B.C., they returned yet again and there was another deportation of another large segment of the population. It was in that first deportation that happened in the year 604-605 B.C. that Daniel is taken away as a young man and his story, as we know it, begins. Daniel would live his entire life in exile from that moment on. He would live his entire life in a setting where the majority did not believe like he believed. We know he was young. We know Daniel was young whenever he was taken to Babylon because some 70 years later, at the end of the book of Daniel, we know that Daniel is still alive during the time period when Darius the Mede was the ruler over the empire. We know that Daniel had a long life and that he must have been, they project, about 13, 14, 15, 16 years old when the Babylonians arrived at the city gates of Jerusalem 
and they started kidnapping an entire generation of young people. Can you imagine the cries that must have gone out that day as those young people were stripped away from their families, handcuffed in a line, single file, and led east to Babylon? I don't even want to think about what that day must have been like. It must have been horrific. It must have been crushing. It must have been the wake-up call of all wake-up calls. Daniel would live his entire life from that point forward in exile. But if you know anything about the story of Daniel, you know that Daniel lived faithfully. And he served with honor. And he was a spiritual leader for the times that he lived in, even though they were times of tremendous secular pressure. How do we look forward into a future in our world? And I know I wasn't trying to paint a grim picture, just a realistic picture of where we are right now and of where we're going. How do we look forward into the future in the world that we live in today in the United States of America and live the same way that Daniel did. Live faithfully before God. Serve God with honor. And make an impact in our generation. Daniel and his friends were going to turn out to be beacons of truth. In a world that was dominated by idol worship. And all kinds of confusion and nonsense. They were going to be an example in worship. They were people of deep devotion and prayer. They were a picture of God's power and faithfulness. And Daniel was prophetic and visionary in his leadership. But the story of Daniel does not begin in Daniel chapter 1. The story of Daniel begins in Isaiah chapter 39. About 100 or 120 years before Daniel is taken to Babylon... The story that we read about in Daniel chapter 1 begins in Isaiah chapter 39. I want to read it with you. If you want to turn there with me, it's only eight, eight scriptures. It's a short chapter. Isaiah chapter 39 verse 1 in the New King James Version says that at that time, Merodach Beladon, the son of Beladon, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah was pleased with them and showed them the house of his treasures, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all of his armory and all that was found among his treasures. And there was nothing, everybody say nothing, there was nothing in his house or in all of his dominion that Hezekiah did not show to them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that is in my house. And there's nothing among my treasures that I haven't shown them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. And nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, 
and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Have you ever seen one of those signs at the mall that has the dot or the arrow that says, you are here? I want to borrow that tonight, and I want to use it and just let us know that's where we're at. We are here. The story that we just read in Isaiah 39, that's where we're at right now. We're just on the very beginning stages of a massive change that's going on in our world right now, and at least in the part of the world that we live in. And we need to have a vision to see what's going on around us so that we can respond accordingly. Hezekiah had been very sick in Isaiah chapter 38. He'd been very sick. He was sick even unto death. And he had pleaded with God. And God had healed him and Hezekiah had recovered. But in the meantime, Brother Walker, the king of Babylon had sent an envoy to Hezekiah to check on him. And they arrived in Jerusalem under the guise of checking after the health and recovery of King Hezekiah. The Babylonians showed up to check on Hezekiah, and it brought Hezekiah excitement and joy to receive such an envoy from Babylon. You can tell by the way he responds that he must have felt honored and recognized, that Hezekiah must have been saying to himself, I'm significant, I showed up on their radar, I mean something, I've been noticed, my time has come, I'm getting all this good attention, look who's visiting me, look who's giving me attention. And Hezekiah felt flattered by Babylon. Listen to this. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, Babylon wields so much influence. The Babylon of our day. The Babylon of secular culture. The Babylon of Hollywood. Babylon of whatever's going on online at any given time. The Babylon of liberal politics and policies and alternative worldviews and all the different power establishments of this world, that Babylon and all of the influence that they wield can be so great that even when you know they are wicked and even when you know that they threaten what you believe in, it can be difficult to not be flattered by their attention, to be impressed by their riches and their status, and all that they offer. Don't be naive, Hezekiah. Hezekiah walked them all the way through his treasury. Hezekiah walked them all the way through his armory. There was nothing in Hezekiah's kingdom, nothing in his realm, his dominion, that they did not get to lay eyes on. All of his temples, all of his palaces, all of his storehouses, all the streets of his city. He says, look at everything that I have. Hezekiah wanted a seat at the table. I want to tell somebody today, I know you feel the influence of the Babylon of this world, 
Don't be dazzled by Babylon. Hezekiah, I'm talking to you tonight. Get that junk out of your house. Get that mess out of your life. If it has the stamp of Babylon on it, you need to remove it from your life and you need to be radical about doing it. Because those Babylonians are just taking a mental inventory, Hezekiah, of everything that they're going to return and carry away the next time they show up. They're making a list of everyone and everything that they want to strip out of your life and carry away into captivity. Don't be dazzled by Babylon. They don't have nearly as much to offer as you think they do, Hezekiah. And here's what's more. Can I be very plain tonight? Babylon doesn't care about you. I know they showed up under the guy. Hezekiah, we want to check up on you. We heard you had a cough. We heard you were sick. We heard you weren't doing so good. They slip in under the guise of wanting to do good for you. But hear me in the Holy Ghost tonight. Babylon does not care about you a single bit. They don't care about you. They don't care about your children. They don't care about your grandchildren. They don't care about your values and their virtues. I don't care if they do pay lip service to the things that you believe in. Now is the time to be very wise and discerning about who and what you associate with because Babylon does not care about you and Babylon only wants to take you captive. Sometimes we feel like Hezekiah. When the world affirms something that we, the church, are doing or saying. But hear me, even a broken clock is right twice a day. There are going to be things, occasionally, where the world, Babylon, and the church do get lined up on and and are looking the same. There's going to be times when that does occur. But don't take that as an indication That they care about you. Don't take that as a sign that it's time to get friendly with Babylon. Hezekiah looked east to Babylon. Babylon looks like the way to become more popular and powerful. Babylon looks like they hold the keys to your future. Babylon, it looks like... If you're ever going to get ahead in this life, you're going to have to do it Babylon's way. You're going to have to do it the world's way. And Hezekiah looked east toward Babylon and said, if I can just pull on some of the influence, if I can just have some of the credibility and the power and the clout of Babylon on my side, just imagine what could happen in my dynasty. Just imagine what my kingdom and my realm could flourish and look like if I just injected a little bit of Babylon into the mix. The Babylonians do not care about you. Babylon wants to conquer you. Babylon is not interested in who you are or what you stand for. The world is interested in you because it wants to conquer you. It wants to conquer you. Don't be foolish about the motivations of this world, of the adversary. The adversary prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. You see, Hezekiah wasn't backslidden. Hezekiah was just foolish. 
Is it possible to be saved and to be dumb at the same time? I mean, it's possible in my life. Is it possible to be saved and to be foolish at the same time? I mean, if you look, if you've got, I remember when I was a kid, there was this chart in my kid's Bible, and there was a chart where they, I mean, it's an oversimplification to be sure, but there was a chart of all the good kings and all the bad kings. You ever seen one of those charts? Like you can put people in categories that easily. All the good kings and all the bad. You know where Hezekiah landed most of the time? Good kings. But he was only good relative to all the bad ones that were really, really bad. He just happened to be just enough over on this other side of the line to get into this other category. Hezekiah did a lot of, he, was, he did a lot of things right. But boy, he missed it on this one. He was foolish about the motivations of the world. He was foolish about what Babylon was all about. And here's what he did whenever he was confronted with the reality. This is the verse. Can I just be honest? Can I just be human for a moment? Isaiah chapter 39, verse 8. I hate that verse. I hate what it says. It burns me up inside. It makes my blood pressure go up. It just, ooh, it makes me angry. It's not the first thing that Hezekiah says. It's the second thing that he says. The first thing that Hezekiah says when he hears that some of his descendants are going to be carried away to Babylon and made eunuchs in the palace of the Babylonian king, he has to admit to the prophet Isaiah, to the man of God, Isaiah, you're right. The word that you've given me is good, which doesn't necessarily mean he likes the report. He just means it's credible. It's, it's on the mark. You, you nailed it. This word is a good word that you've given me, Hezekiah, or, or Isaiah. But then Hezekiah goes on, and it's the second thing that just infuriates me. It says, for the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. At least everything's going to be okay for me. Now, I'm going to add, I'm going to just pour gas on this for a second. As though that statement by itself wouldn't be enough to get your temperature up. Let me go back and remind you of what happened in the previous chapter in Isaiah 38. Isaiah is sick. He's got an illness in his body. He's sick. He's in trouble. And because something is attacking him personally, because his life is in danger, Hezekiah is alarmed. Hezekiah becomes a man of action and a man of prayer, cries out to God. Because Hezekiah is sick, he becomes frantic and has to do something. He's, alar he's alarmed because something in his personal life, his personal world is going off the rails and it needs to be fixed. And so he becomes a person of intense, fervent prayer in that moment. And then he recovers. And he gets better and his health improves. But then in the very next chapter, an entire future generation is in trouble. And Hezekiah shrugs it off like it's nothing. 
when Hezekiah isn't sick, but there's an entire generation at stake ahead of him. His response is pathetic, uninspiring, no alarm, no action, no prayer. When he was sick, the word of God says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. But when the man of God told him what was going to happen a few generations hence, not a single tear was shed. When the future was threatened, he did nothing. It puts my stomach into knots for what we're facing today. We've already taken the first steps in our country, in the world that we live in today, toward a period of exile. Now is the time, Hezekiah, not to shrug it off, but to become more intense in prayer, to become more deliberate in your action. I know it's easy to play armchair quarterback on every, in history, but you know what Hezekiah could have done? Hezekiah could have gotten in, intense about prayer. Hezekiah could have set up additional schools and Places where people were going to be taught the word of God. He could have said, we're going to have, we're, I'm the king, and I've got all the kingdom's resources at my disposal, and we are going to empty the treasury, and we are going to take on a project of multi-generational educating the people in the word of God and the ways of God, knowing that there's a storm coming and there's going to be a generation that is tested like no generation has ever been tested. Hezekiah didn't do any of those things. And hear me in the Holy Ghost tonight. I say to you tonight in the year 2023, the Babylonians have visited. The Babylonians, listen to me, they've already been here. It's not that they're here and that the envoy just showed up yesterday and they're walking around. Take Brothers and sisters, they've already come and gone. And we're living in a period, waiting for the other shoe to drop, knowing every day the percentages are moving downward and to the right. The percentages of people who hold our values, or at least even not even live them, but just profess them with their mouth, is shrinking every day, every week, every month, every year. And now is not the time to see the signs of the times and shrug and resign yourself to what's coming and say, well, at least it's not going to fully manifest itself in my lifetime. Pastor said it would be about the year 2050 or 2060 until things get really rough if the Lord tarries, until we're really really noticeably not in the majority anymore. I'll never even see that. Now is not the time to shrug that off. Now is the time, Hezekiah, to get serious, more serious than we've ever been about living for God in the present and looking forward to the future. And I think today there's some people, there's some saints of God that are in their 30s and 40s and 50s and further along than that who are going to stay serious about the things of God even though the rest of the world is going a different direction. 
I'm calling on tonight some saints to develop a long-term vision and see where our, nature, our, our nation and our culture are heading and say, I will not have a Hezekiah attitude. I'm not going to have a Hezekiah outlook on these things. I'm going to get renewed in the Holy Ghost. I'm going to stay in a place where I'm constantly pursuing after God. I'm going to refocus my life every single day so that I can be faithful to my generation. And I'm going to model faithfulness to a generation that's out ahead of me. That's going to have to live through some things and live during some times that I may never personally see. But I'm going to do everything within my power to equip them because the Babylonians have already come. And one day they're going to come knocking again. And there's going to be a time period that our children and grandchildren must live in that is unlike anything we've ever lived in. On this continent. And I don't say that. And I don't preach it or teach it tonight. In order to give a message of gloom and doom. But I think that they're going to be successful. I think, they're, I think the darker that this world gets. The brighter their light is going to shine. I wish, I wish you believed it with me. I have hope for the future today. I just think that we're going to have to get equipped for it. I think that our children and our grandchildren and even those of us that live to see days like that, that we're going to be faithful and successful living for God in that day. The musicians would come. We are here, just like that little map. Just like that little map you see in large buildings where you have to go to a directory and you have to get your, get your bearings and kind of orient yourself and figure out where exactly you are. I'm here to tell you tonight that w the stories, the picture that I've tried to paint tonight of events that happened all those thousands, 2,500 plus years ago were there. Were there. The arrows pointing right there. We have back to school season just ahead of us means that families and homes are going to come back into contact with the front lines of everything that's going on in the world. And over the long view, our children and our grandchildren are marching toward a time period of exile. And we're the older generation. We may see Babylon with our eyes, but we may not live out our entire lives in that place, in that culture, in that climate. But among us, Brother Turner, among us, just over in that other building, just over in the back of this building, there's some Daniels. Daniels. His three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're right, they're among us. Some of the youngest among them is sitting out in the pews tonight. They're going to live out their days in a world that we didn't grow up in. They're going to live out their days in a secular environment that we're stepping into. I told you tonight I felt, I felt solemn. It's because I think we're on a road to Babylon. I think there's some that have already been pulled into its orbit. They're being marched toward a foreign land where they don't think like us, they don't talk like us. You go walking through the, 
halls of a school. You tell me it's not completely different, like a foreign country, than what you probably usually interact with. This is not the time for bluster. We're puffing our chest out. We're just trying to be tough. But there's two scriptures. There's one from Daniel and there's one from 1 Peter that I want to just call your attention to tonight. And I think they're for us right now. I want you to listen to these verses because they are the voices of the children of exile. Daniel lived in exile. And Peter lived in a time where they were persecuted by the Roman government. And it was a time of exile. They were not among the majority. Listen to these voices. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. This is written by Daniel towards the end of his life. Some people believe that he may have been as old as 90 years old. He had lived a life in Babylon, but this was his testimony. This was part of his vision. This was part of what he wrote. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the apostle Peter wrote and he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now you read that passage that I just read from 1 Peter and tell me that there isn't some direct correlation for Daniel, what you know of Daniel's story. They tried to entrap him. They tried to entrap him in his prayer life, in his dedication to God. They tried to do all kinds of things, and Peter is writing to his generation, and we need to write a living letter to our generation. I said we need, we need to write a living letter to our generation that is looking to us, to the Daniels, to the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's that are looking to us and tell them you can make it. You can. I may never see, I may never live in the world that you're going to live in, but hear me, you can make it. You can make it. You can live for God. You can be faithful in Babylon, but it will be because you chose to do so. Babylon is not a place where you can coast. So because of that, why don't we stand all over this place? And here's what I feel led in the Holy Ghost to ask us to do tonight. I think it would be appropriate if we rededicated ourselves, if we reconsecrated ourselves. Maybe it's a time of repentance. Maybe there's been too much Babylon mixing around in your life. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now? And can we begin to seek the face of God? Come on, would you lift up your voice in this place? Come on, all over this room, from one side of the room to the other. This is where we're at right now. It's a point on a map. These altars are open right now, and if you want to find a place to kneel and pray and to rededicate your life, to reconsecrate some category of your life, and just say, God, I'm going to be more serious.